Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of A Contagious Smile, where every smile tells a story. We have Annette with us today, who is the author of Dragonfly Into the Light, as well as some amazing other accomplishments under her belt, which if she's okay with, I would like to kind of talk about throughout the podcast. Um, Annette, thank you so much for being here with us today. I truly appreciate you finding the time to be with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So, Like me, I know that you were also raised in a trauma zone. Can you kind of tell me what that was for you? What was that like for you? Um, As a child, my parents were divorced at a very young age. And even though they were divorced, I still had a lot of like our dad would come and go. He was in and out of the house a lot. And it was he drank a lot and he was very unpredictable. So we never really knew when we heard his vehicle coming down the street, because, you know, you, you learn to listen yeah, for absolutely. certain things. Yeah. When we would hear his car coming down the street, we would all be like, um, okay, we we do our chores. Did we do this? Are we going to be in trouble the minute he steps out of the car? Mm-hmm. And we were too little to understand that we had no control over that behavior, but we thought we could control it by checking off all the boxes, Right. Right. Now were your siblings treated the same as you, or is there a black sheep and a golden child kind of situation? Um, well, I would say my brother probably got the worst of it. And I don't really know a reason for that, uh, other than the fact that I was very in your face and tough as a young child. I was the standoff, like I would get between someone like my dad or anybody and my brother and I would like toughen up and be like you got to go through me to get to him and I was like that from a very young age so I was I started out learning how to protect other people including my mom but not yourself at a very young age yeah and I thought I was indestructible so there was no I didn't need protection I was tough you know so how did that turn into your relationships as you got into those relationship years of teenagers and early tweens and twenties, I guess. How how did that turn into relationship for you? Yeah. Well, I have lifelong girlfriends, very close, strong, tight knit relationships with a lot of women that have been very long, 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 long relationships. And with men though, I had a tendency to be attracted to people that gave me that same feeling. Like they were made me feel powerful and strong. But then also there was this like underlying question of whether or not it was going to last forever, you know, kind of that abandonment thing. So I spent years, literally many, many, many years, basically dating the same guy with a different face. (laughs) We've all been there. My whole life. (laughs) Yeah, that that uncertainty. It's a very comfortable feeling to have, right? Yeah. So what made you come out of that? What woke you up from that? Well, as um, my last relationship ended right before COVID started, and I kind of made up my mind as I was exiting that situation that I was starting to recognize a pattern. And I was like, okay, why does this keep happening to me? And yes, I'm aware that this person did some things that were not satisfactory, that were unpleasant, that were whatever, but what, what role did I play in it? And what can I do to stop myself from doing that again? 
because it was devastating and horrifying and being left, you know, picking up the pieces of your shattered dreams and your shattered emotions and all of those things. I was like, I never want to feel this way ever again. But I knew that falling into a bottle or taking another college degree or, um, you know, getting on Tinder and just meeting a new person. Those were not the things that I wanted to do this time. I wanted to figure out how I got there, how I could understand it better and how I could change it for the future. And I I didn't even realize what I was letting. I was letting the lid off the can of worms, but it was the best decision I ever made to not fall back on crutches and habits and things like that. Let me ask you a question, Annette. When you started doing like the tender thing, I've never done that. So I'm, I'm totally clueless as of it. And you see a person like my friends would be like, oh, yeah, we swept left, swipe left, swipe right. I'm like, what are you talking about? But when you do that, aren't you nervous like prior because you're like, I don't know what I'm going to meet. You know what? Do they put their best face forward or is it really not the person you often hear that's in that picture? Yeah, well, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with that because I haven't done it very many times in my life. But I decided not to do it this time because my previous experience with that sort of thing was I was attracted to people that were gaslighting me before I even met them. (laughs) So the the gaslighting and the emotional trauma with that type of person starts in the very beginning. And once you're aware of what that looks like, you can't even go there. You're just like, nope, nope, nope. I can pick it out now just by looking at someone's profile. It was like, nope, not a good person, not a good fit, not that one. (laughs) So I don't even bother at this point. (laughs) So now you are a single mom to uh, your daughter. Yeah, well, she's 37 now. So stop it. Oh, yeah. Can I have some of your water, whatever it is you're drinking? (laughs) Because you're beautiful and you do not look like you have a 37 year old daughter. I thought you were going to be like a teenager's mom. Yeah. Well, I was at one point. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) now I have teenage grandchildren. (laughs) Pause for silence. No way. You're not a grandma. If y'all could see her, you would say, you're right. There's no way this woman's a grandma. No. As you know, you think of grandma, I think of my grandma was grandma and look like a grandma, but like, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. My grandma had white hair when I was born. (laughs) Well, I just want some of your water. I can. Okay. So (laughs) now that I've totally toned off the back, tell me about how are you? Well, I can't ask that now because I was going to ask you, how did you make sure that your daughter doesn't start dating and fall into that same cycle? Well, I guess I can. So did, how did you prevent your daughter from falling into that same cycle that you went through? Yeah, well, fortunately, my daughter was raised by me, myself, and a few of my friends who really made sure that she, we like made a pact when we were younger, that we were going to make sure our children were raised to be confident and independent in a healthy way, not in the independent way that I was born and raised. Right. Totally different. Yeah. I was uber independent and didn't want anyone's help and couldn't even imagine taking help from another person. Right. Where I have a daughter who's, you know, she's independent. She's a special education teacher. She loves that. She's been working with special needs people since she was like 14, maybe earlier than that. So her, basically her whole life, she's been doing that. And I, really have 
loved the last couple of years with me going through this journey and being able to talk to her about her adult journey. We've had some really awesome conversations and she's taking some huge steps to be more emotionally aware, more emotionally intelligent. And these changes that I'm making not only are affecting my parents, but also my grandchildren. It's like filtering both directions, which is not something I thought would happen. But the more you get into like quantum physics and emotional intelligence and vibrational fields and things like that, you start to realize that the ripples that you put out don't just go one direction. They go all directions and it affects everyone in your life. So how could you give, what could you say to give advice on how you can recognize these cycles as they begin and how you can break away from them? Well, let's see. Um, I talk about the lot in my book and I give some really good examples, but things that I find is a lot of times that most people don't realize that they're in a pattern of some kind, whether it be a pattern of their own that was created due to necessity or if it was a pattern that was passed down to them through generations. So like money and wealth, those are commonly things that are passed down through generation to generation, your beliefs around money. And then also beliefs around education. There are a lot of people who's, who will never go to college because that's just not something their family ever talks about or discusses. And then there's also like the emotional trauma, the emotional abuse And like my grandmother lived through the great depression and looking back on our childhood, I can tell that a lot of her behaviors and beliefs were rooted because of what they went through when she was a child, scarcity of food, scarcity of money, and, you know, just the inability of her parents to deal with all of the pressure of that time. So they were raised in a rough household. And so was my grandpa, who she married was, was, he was a rough guy Mm -hmm. and his way of resolving things was just to hit something. If something didn't work, you hit it. And that didn't matter if it was your wife or your kid or your dog, if it wasn't doing what you wanted it to do, you just hit it. And that filters down through the generations in different ways. And even though I wasn't like physically abused, really, I still was terrified that I was going to be because that was the kind of the rule. If you step out of line, you're going to get it. So those things filter down and become different behaviors in different people. So for me, it was the uber independent. I'm really strong person who doesn't want or need help from anyone. And then there's other people that are the people pleasers and they'll do anything to keep from being into any kind of a conflict. So I guess if you have lingering feelings of shame or guilt or fear, chances are that's coming from somewhere else. You didn't make that in yourself. That came from somewhere else. Well, being that you had that strong disposition and demeanor, wasn't there ever a period of time where the little girl inside of you just wanted just to be that little girl that put that guard down? Yeah. And I think that's why I kept choosing the men that I was choosing because I wanted men that made me feel safe, but I also wanted to still be in control. And that's a really hard dynamic. That's a hard one to find. 
Yeah, it really is. So I, it was really weird, the relationships that I ended up in. Cause I was like, I was like the mom and the little girl that needed that support. And it, you can't find a person who's going to fit into that role. Like they right. don't, somebody who wants you to be their mom, isn't going to be the supportive backer upper of yes. an amazing woman. And somebody who wants to be the supporter of an amazing woman who's going to go out and tackle the world doesn't want you to be their mom. So there was a lot of um, imbalance there. There was no homeostasis in those relationships because what I wanted and what I expected were two different things. My my idea of what a relationship was like didn't match up. With what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. So you're also really big on practicing emotional self-regulation. How, how does one even begin to do that? And what does that look like? Well, one of the ways to start practicing a better emotional self-regulation is to start being aware of how you feel. A lot of people go through a day having 10 or 12 different emotions and they don't even know, they're not even aware that they had them. So if you start paying attention to the way you feel in certain situations and how you're reacting, not responding, you'll probably find that you may have two or three go-to emotions. Usually one of them's anger for a lot of people. And you'll find that that's your, that's your go-to. Whenever something goes wrong, you either get sad and feel shamed and guilty immediately and it's all your fault and you're willing to take the blame for the whole thing or you get completely angry and mad and you react and you treat other people badly because you're trying to keep the blame from being shifted on you. It's all the same emotion. It just comes out in a different way. It's fear, fear of being seen, fear of being found out, fear of you know having to show your vulnerable side. So, and I got off track. I forgot what you even asked. Yes. But hopefully I answered that question. Regulation. <laughs> How do you begin that? Yes. yes. <laughs> so when you start realizing, when you start paying attention to what your go-to emotion is and how you actually react to certain things, then you can start monitoring your behaviors and monitoring the way you react. And you can start making some shifts based on intelligent responses instead of just always going to that guttural reaction that happens immediately. Like if someone cuts you off in traffic, do you lose your stuff and call them names and scream and yell, even though they can't even hear you? Right. Do you say, oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. You know, like there's a whole spectrum in between those two things. Yes, there is. Where do you land? (laughs) Yes, there is. And then how do you become more of a calm person instead of that reactive like person? Right. So in order to become a more calm person, we need to take out our toolbox and maybe rearrange it a little bit. Yes. And one of the ways you can do that is if you examine, say, what, what requirements do I have in order for myself to feel loved or accepted? And if you think about it, like, what are the things that have to happen in order for that feeling to be true for me? So like, say, in order to feel loved, you need to be told that you're loved, Mm -hmm. but you also need people, someone to do nice things for you or to buy you gifts or to always be right there with you being your biggest cheerleader in the world, regardless of what's going on in their life. So if they're having a bad day, then you're having a bad day because you don't feel loved because they're focused on their self. 
So it's about the rules that you create that allow you to feel a certain way. And what you'll find is that we have a lot of really difficult hurdles to jump to get to those good things, joy, happiness, fulfillment. Like when I reach this money mark at my job, then I'll feel fulfilled. And then when I, when this happens, then when this happens, then when it happens, then, and you'll find that you have a lot of requirements to feel those positive, good emotions, but you'll find that in order to get angry or frustrated or feel sad, you have a lot less requirements for that to happen. So your automatic go-to if somebody cuts you off in traffic is anger, then you have very few requirements to hit that emotion. And if say somebody at work is having a bad day and you walk in and say hi to them and they ignore you, you're instantly sad. Okay. So how many rules do you have that give you the right to feel sad, like inside of you, like what rules have you created? So if you have zero rules about being sad and somebody just doesn't look at you and you're instantly sad, then maybe we need to reframe what the regulations are for that emotion to be valid. Absolutely. Because typically someone not looking at you is not a valid reason to be sad, but maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe you've come to that from something in your childhood. Maybe that's how your parents let you know that they were upset with you. They wouldn't look at you. Wow. That's, that's so interesting. Cause I never thought about it that way, but if you're working on bettering yourself and your self-regulation, how, how about if we learned how to recognize like patterns of that toxic behavior so that maybe it would help us better self-regulate in a positive way? Yeah. Like if you catch yourself saying the same phrase over and over again, um, which I can't think of a great one right now, but like money grows on trees. That's an example. Uh, there are things that people have that are like family life too, or whatever. If that doesn't work, just spank them. I hear that one a lot, (laughs) which that doesn't usually work either. If nothing else is working, (laughs) just FYI. But um, (laughs) if you find yourself repetitively saying or thinking the same thoughts over and over and over again, like I'll never get that promotion or nobody ever sees me, then there's something there that needs to be kind of worked on a little bit. And I was talking to a client yesterday on the phone and her biggest fear about emotional growth is reliving her past. She's like, I don't want to relive all of that. And I was like, good news. You don't have to, (laughs) as a matter of fact, I don't even want you to, I want you to become familiar with the emotions that you have inside your body and learn how to understand them, recognize them. And one of the things I find is that some people don't even know what the emotions they're having are. They think it's anger or they think it's fear, but when you really get down to it, it's shame. Can you give me an example? Like that's, that would be something I can totally see so many of us think like I'm angry for this reason, but it's really shame. Yeah. Well, they're angry because they, they're afraid they're going to get found out. Right. And The problem is they don't have any reason to be shamed. They don't have any reason to worry about being found out, but it's so deeply ingrained in their DNA that that's their go-to emotion. So say, say you're a teenager and you have a habit of not doing your homework when you're supposed to do it. Most teenagers. Whenever your mom or dad or whoever it is says, Hey, 
I need you to make sure your homework's done because this, oh yeah, it's done, it's done, it's done. But then you have this bubbling up like, oh my God, I'm gonna be found out. I just told them my homework was done and it's not, but I'm gonna get it done, but it's not. That feeling starts bubbling up and you could say, okay, no problem, I got it. Or you can say, why do you always pick on me? How come you're always, and that's just deflecting what they said, which wasn't an insult in any way. Hey, when you get your homework done, or once you get your homework done, that doesn't require an angry, like stand up and fight response. But if that's the response you go to, it's because you have that underlying guilt. And heck, you could already have your homework done and still have that response. You might not even be hiding anything, but so that's how do you your that So how do you make that better? You have to recognize that it's a pattern within you. And the only way to do that is to start paying attention. And if you realize that you're jumping to the gun or automatically always going to one typical type of reaction, then it's time to start thinking about, okay, you kind of have to start pulling it apart be like, okay, so when this happens, I feel this way. So when mom asked me about homework, I feel angry and I just want to break something, then okay. What, what makes you feel that way? And what are you getting out of it? Do you get something from that reaction? Does by throwing a fit, just because the word homework came up, get you something like attention or time out? Like, does your mom say, okay, well, you need to go to your room and finish your homework. Is that the reward that you're looking for? And you, you don't even realize that it's like a reward system. Sometimes you kind of like, what's in it for me, but you don't even realize you're doing it to get something and you're either doing it to manipulate or you're doing it to get something. And why, why are you doing that? What's the underlying reason? And then figure out like, where does that fear come from? And sometimes you can't figure out where it came from, but you can accept that it's there and you can start learning how to reframe it and feel differently about each situation that makes you feel fear because there may be several different ones. And if you don't know where the fear comes from, you can't like erase the cause, but you can learn to deal with it every time it pops up. So and it may be I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, that's okay. <laughs> There's like a two second delay here for some reason. What made you decide to write your book? What was the message you were trying to get out? Well, first of all, I started writing it in like 2006, just as therapy for myself. And then during the pandemic, when things were kind of slow, I was like, you know what, I really ought to finish that book. So I sat down and started looking at it. And I decided that I wanted to make sure that it was a fiction based book, because I wanted to be able to create the characters in a way that would be very relatable to everyone. And I wanted to make sure that they were, um, like somebody's sister, somebody's mm -hmm. mom, somebody's whatever, so that you could really, really relate. And then I wanted to make sure that not only was the story really good, but I wanted to raise awareness about emotional abuse and trauma. I wanted to raise awareness about generational patterns and generational curses. And I wanted to give people some ideas on how they might start the healing process. Because I feel like a lot of people don't even realize they're in an emotionally violent or emotionally scary situation until they're out of it. 
So my goal is to raise awareness and maybe prevent people from going down that road. Maybe if I educate you and you can educate your daughter, then she won't ever go through some of the things that many of us have gone through. They'll catch it before it happens. Right. Like I always say, I don't want my daughter to have to spend her adulthood recovering from her childhood. Yeah. You know, that is such a big, important thing for me, but, and what it is, you know, and I, I love what you're doing and the message behind your book, because so many women and men that I've talked to, to, to them, that's their norm. They, Mm -hmm. you know, if they say to me, I went out with some friends and, and they were laughing and cutting up and having fun and, and, you know, touchy feely and sweet. And I'm looking at them like, that's not right. He's not degrading her. He's not you know, snapping at her and, and saying hurtful things. And they have to have something going on. It's wrong because this is all I know. And so they don't know to recognize it because that's out of their comfort zone. And that being the abusive situation is their comfort zone and they don't recognize it. They have no idea. They think that what they're watching is wrong and what they're used to having is right because that's what they've seen their whole life. Yeah. It feels really uncomfortable to be around adults that can joke around and have close relationships and friendships that are not sexual in nature. When you're used to being around all of that red flag activity 24 seven. And, you know, I've heard people say, honey, that wasn't a red, that wasn't a Superman cape. It was a giant red flag. But when you're one of those people that was raised in a situation where life was uncertain or scary, or you had to protect yourself or other people, a lot of times those red flags, they're not all that visible to you. They seem normal, right? Very normal. Very, very normal. What does emotional growth look like for you when it comes to like weight loss? Because one thing I, I hear all the time as well, and I can verify this one myself, is that when this is going on, we feel alone. We feel isolated. You know, we're taken away from our friends. We're taken away from our family. Um, Everything we do is accounted for by our attacker, our abuser. And so we have nothing. And a lot of time we just sit in a corner and comfort ourselves with food. And it might not even taste good. It's the fact that, you know, we pick it out. It's something we choose, we have control of, and we shove it in our face. And, you know, it took me, Annette, somebody, it was actually my therapist, after years and years that said to me, Have you ever realized that maybe another reason that you ate so much and gained weight was so that maybe that attacker or abuser no longer wanted to see you as an attractive person? Maybe you tried to make yourself not attractive. I had never thought of that. I never, ever thought of that. And finally, I was like, wow, that totally makes sense because I was in the corner shoving food in my mouth that I hated that tasted awful because... I could control it. And then I thought, well, maybe that is why I'm doing it. So then he won't think I'm attractive. But I never thought about that. And it was years and years later. So how can someone come back from that and get back to a healthy weight, get back to the happy emotional state that they need to be in and that they deserve to be in? Yeah. So, so what if your underlying belief is I make such poor choices when it comes to relationships I don't trust myself to choose a good partner. If I gain weight, I won't be attractive to as many people. So I have to fend off less suitors. And 
I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to make that decision. I don't have to set the boundaries. I don't have to do the things like say no, which is uncomfortable to a people pleaser. If I'm overweight, if I don't like myself, if I don't like my own body, then maybe nobody else will be attracted to me either. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you don't trust your own decision-making skills. So you want to limit the number of times you get to say no or have to say no. So you make it, you make yourself less attractive and you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can do it with alcohol. You can do it with food. You can do it with cigarettes or whatever. You can do it by not showering, not fixing your hair, not going out in public. There's a lot of ways that that can come out for a person. Weight seems to be a very common one, mostly because it's real easy to do. And Food, especially food that has sugar in it, sets off those pleasure centers in the brain. So it kind of replaces the relationship love hit with a dopamine hit. So you're trading one addiction for the other. So the addiction of being in a traumatic relationship, which is constantly giving you a dopamine and oxytocin hit every time something happens to replacing it with food. So how does someone start to come back around and start back into losing that weight? And just shedding all of that toxic layering of themselves to becoming that person that they were before, but a 2.0 better version. I love that you said that. That's exactly what I was going to say. You don't necessarily want to be the person you were before because that person allowed things to happen to you that wasn't necessarily ideal. So you want to get back to a happy version of yourself, but you also want to do it with the awareness and the education that you have now that you've stepped away from whatever trauma it was in your life that caused you to have this realization that you needed to make some changes. So first of all, you have to figure out why it's important to you Mm -hmm. and it needs to be something you're passionate about. Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for your children? Are you doing it? What, like, what is it? And this goes with any habit, eating, whatever you have to figure out what is your passionate reason for wanting to do it. And it needs to be a really good one, like come up with something real good and then start educating yourself, figure out what it is that sets you off. What are your triggers? And if you have a trigger that makes you eat, how can you replace that response to that trigger with something else? So first of all, you're going to be working on those triggers because you want to, you want to manage those and you want to learn how to work through them without falling back on an old habit. But until then, How can you replace that habit with something that's going to be more healthy for you? Can you go for a walk? Can you go to the gym? Can you call a friend? Like, how can you replace the refrigerator door with something that's more beneficial to you? And maybe it is something really simple. I had a friend tell me this one time. Every time I decided I wanted to eat something, I drank a full glass of water first. And then she was like, if I was still hungry after that, then I would allow myself to eat. But that would pause her immediate need to feel something, to get rid of that food. And then she might find that she really wasn't that hungry. And if she was hungry, then she was in control of what she ate. Like she could eat some carrot sticks or whatever it was that she chose to fill that void. But instead of immediately falling back on her old pattern, She had a pattern interrupt. Here's a glass of water. We're going to drink this first and then we're going to see how we feel. So, and you can do that with anything. You just have to decide and make yourself really aware and stay on top of it. 
when I start to feel this way, I'm going to do this instead. And then replace that bad behavior with something that's more healthy, or at least makes you take a pause so that you can think about it before you do it. See, let me ask you, because obviously this is definitely your wheelhouse. So I, I realized that for instance, like I drink unsweet tea. I don't drink sweet tea um, because of the sugar. And I, I always say, you know, I used to go into the kitchen to get like a pen when I'm, you know, somewhere, wherever else in the house. And instead I come back with a cookie and I'm like, why did I get the cookie? I wasn't even hungry. And I realized it's because like subconsciously you go in the kitchen and you're like, oh, I have to eat because I'm in here. And then I'm like, why didn't I just grab some grapes or some cashews or something? Why did I go for that? I don't even like sweets. Like, why am I in here grabbing a cookie that doesn't even taste good that I don't even want? And then I come back. I'm like, I didn't even get my pen. Like, what? what is this? So I removed all of the things that don't belong in a kitchen out so that I can't say I need a pen and I go in the kitchen, you know, because Great I was idea. hoping that's a good starting point because, you know, I'm I'm trying to like shed a little bit here. So I need any advice you could give. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great awareness. And it, that was a great thing for you to do. So you realized that that's a trigger for you. Being in the kitchen makes you want to eat. But I'm never hungry. I just do it. Yeah. It feels like, you know. Yeah. Mine's sitting on the couch. If I'm sitting on the couch, I'm like, hmm, what can I eat? So I try not to sit on the couch, like keep myself busy doing other things. And in the summertime, it's a whole lot easier than in the wintertime because it's dark at 5 p.m. True. You've got nothing to do. It's cold outside. So um, one of the things I like to do in that situation is when, when you're trying to make a shift, but it's really inconvenient to do so, mm -hmm. is really find something that you enjoy doing, like get a hobby. I bought a cricket this last year so that when I felt the need to do something with my hands, or keep my mind busy. Like if I was ruminating, like, why is this happening to me? Why blah, 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 around right. and around. I would make a really intricate design and cut it out on my cricket so that I had to sit there and pick those little tiny pieces out of it for like an hour. And that would busy my mind enough that I would get off the track I was on and focus on something else. And sometimes your brain just needs a break from all of that worry yes. and stress. Right. I'm, I'm this person that I always want to make people laugh and that no matter what the dark cloud, there's a silver lining behind it. Like I became deaf when my eardrums were ruptured with all the brokenness in my face. So I'm like, oh, this is great. When I don't want to hear somebody, I just turn them off. And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. and my daughter's like, are they off again? I'm like, what, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's great. And like, I was joking. I I've had the same surgeon for um, almost all of my arm and hand surgeries. And when I went in, I was like, okay, I've got this. I've got this. And I'm old school. I'm hat, you know, when it comes to the OR and I go in there and I'm like, how do I say goodbye to my hand? And then I was like, maybe I can't reach for as many cookies anymore. You know And I'm thinking, you know, and I was like, no handouts, no more handouts. And my surgeon's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And, you know, I was just like, high five. Nope. Can't high five. Cause I'm, you know, I'm nub now. And you always try to make it lighter, but then you're always trying to be cognitively aware of what that is to make it better. And it's so hard because so many people just find that comfort because the food doesn't talk back to you. You know, it just gives you that instant rush, but then you crash from it and then you just go back and get more. And, you know, you just want to help people and say, let's not keep hiding behind that, that food because it's gotta be so intense all the time, you know, and then you just keep putting on weight and you don't feel well. And then you feel it, it's like a downward domino spiral. 
Yeah, it, it really has. And then the more disgusted you get with yourself, the more you eat. Yes. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. I just ate a whole box of Twinkies. Well, I might as well just have another one because <laughs> I already did that. I might as well just top it off. Let's put some icing on top of that. Yes. <laughs> that stuff in the middle is not enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's wash it down with a big Coke too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, that's just, that's brutal. Tell me about the clients that you work with. What kind of clientele do you work with? Are you opening to taking new clients on right now? I am. And the type of people that I really like to work with are people that have already realized that something isn't quite right. And they're ready to take the next step into becoming their best version of themselves. And I, those are the people that I just really passionately love working with because I love seeing those light bulb moments when they're like, Oh, that's why that used to happen. Okay. Well now, now I know better. Now I can do this instead. And of course, every situation is completely different. Sure. Um, so it's hard to come up with examples, but yeah, I just, I, sp I spend most of my time with women. Um, I have, I've dealt with a couple of male clients, but I find myself a lot more comfortable with women just because I understand their thought processes and stuff better. I feel like we connect more than I do with men and probably partially because I did, haven't always had the best relationships when it comes to men. So I have a little bit of a lack of trust there with some of those things, which I'm working on myself. So can it's you, always evolving, always, always. Can you tell um, our listeners about your background and why it would be such a great fit for them to come and talk with you? Well, my expertise started when I was probably around 40, when I decided I was going to become a naturopathic doctor. So I became a doctor at a later age. Um, and I'm a board certified naturopathic doctor. I think I did that in 2014. And yeah. It's been an amazing journey because I love helping people figure out the root situation, whether it be an emotional root trigger, or maybe it's a health like DNA genetics, like whatever it is. I love to help the whole person. And I really feel like with all of the experience that I've had in that arena, I'm very well suited to help people kind of weed their way through and I was misdiagnosed at the age of 30 with rheumatoid arthritis because they didn't know what else was wrong with me and come to find out it was really just inflammation and food allergies. So once we got to the bottom of he that does. and cleared out my diet, I, my fingers are straight. Look at them. <laughs> There's no crooked fingers. So I, I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis, but, um, so I'm kind of familiar with that the road that you get on once they decide you have like an autoimmune disease. And when you finally get to the point to where they're like, well, here's some antidepressants. I sure hope you feel better. And I was like, I'm not depressed. I'm sick. Like big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, they just don't know what to do with some people. And I think emotional and nutritional have to go hand in hand in order to really get to the bottom of some of those issues that people have. I mean, you can do all the things nutritionally. And if you don't get rid of those emotional blocks, first of all, you're never going to break that bad behavior that keeps getting you back where you were, but also it's going to be difficult to heal yourself at the cellular level. Right. If you have trauma still existing in those cells. 
Now, do you meet clients on Zoom? So like we have clients that are everywhere. They don't have to just be based on where you are geographically, right? Yeah, I I honestly haven't seen a person face-to-face in an office in years. I do most of my stuff online, either by like chat, texting, or uh, phone calls, or sometimes Zoom. It depends on who it is, the situation, where we are. And I, I kind of decided I liked working from home and being a little bit of a nomad years ago. So I travel frequently and I just take my phone with me and wherever I am is where I help people. And I don't have to be tied to an office or a desk or a certain location. That's nice. Now tell everybody how they can find you to get in touch with you. Yeah. The easiest way is probably just to go to my website. It's annettecopeland.com. You can also find me on Facebook under Annette Copeland or on Instagram as Ask Dr. Annette. And you can find my book, Dragonfly Into the Light on Amazon. Um, Now, Annette is offered to uh, do a couple of autographed books for some of our lucky listeners. So we thank her for that. That's going to be so amazing of her to do that. Also, we ask everybody to leave us with you get to choose either a story that you have from one of your clients that just made your day or a quote from you. Oh, um, let me think. Um, I have a story I think would probably be really good. So I have a client who's in her seventies who didn't even realize that she had dealt with emotional abuse her entire life. And she read my book and about halfway through the book, she messaged me and was like, Ooh, this book, I'm crying. Like you really, really got me in the feels here on this book. And I was like, Oh, good. Well, don't stop reading. You got to finish it because it, it, it comes full circle. Like you can't stop in the middle. You have to keep reading. She was like, Oh, don't worry. I am. I am. I am. And after the book was done, she said, uh, okay, first of all, I had no idea that I had been through some of the things that you exampled out in your book. And she said, but I know it's kind of late in my life. Do you think it's too late for me to live my best life? And I said, girl, no, it is never too late to live your best life. I love that. And you kind of gave me a quote at the end anyway, which is great. I love that. I don't think you could be ever to any age yeah. to live your best life. Not at all. And thank you so much for having the time with us today. I'm going to make sure that every and anywhere we can find you will be listed as well. And I hope you will come back on with us again. Love to. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do as well. Oh, thank you. I just We just want to help people like you do. That's it. Yeah, that's the yeah. goal. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks.